guys grateful that we can start our week off like this? That we can say to the enemy, no, the king is alive. That in the midst of this storm that I'm walking through, that Jesus died on the cross for a reason, and I can stand up in this storm because of that. So Lord, we just thank you, God, we praise you. God, I just lift my hands up to you and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that uh, there is a truth that the king is alive and that death is defeated. And that in the middle of my storm, I can rest in that. I can rest in the fact that Jesus is alive. That it didn't end on the cross, but that he rose again. And because of that, I can rise again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Just think we should rest in this moment for a second. Just say, thank you, Lord. That we can rest in that truth. You were alive. Thank you, Lord. God, you're so good. So Jesus, we just thank you. We just thank you that we can proclaim the song that we just sang, that we can proclaim that Jesus is alive. God, we're just so thankful for that. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, whether you're here in person, which I'm happy to see you, you braved the snow, or if you're online and cozied up, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, so I just have a few announcements for you guys. The first is that if you are here to worship through tithes and offering, the ushers will be in the back after service, and they'll be glad to help you. Um, the other is, is that if you're new this morning, I'm really glad you're here, and so is a lot of other people. So we want to get to know you. We want to get you to connected. So there are these fancy cards in front of you called Connect Cards. Grab one of those, fill it out so we can get connected for, with you. Or if you have a prayer request, we want to pray with you. We pray every Tuesday for those, so fill them out. Or if you're online, you can fill those out as well. Uh, the other thing that I get to talk about because I'm up here is, and it's snowing, so it's a great segue, is the snow day that's next week. Sarah's excited. I'm excited. So is Bella. Yeah, they got me. All right, so next week on the 30th, next Saturday. Actually, this this week. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so this week we're going sledding. We're going to have fun. There's going to be food. So come up to Table Table Rock, Table Mountain Snow Park. It's on the video. You'll see. Okay, Table Mountain Snow Park. It's near Hyatt Lake. The drive is beautiful to get there. So drive up, have some food with us, sled. You can watch me sled like an idiot down the hill. It's going to be awesome. Just you, you got to be there. So... Without further ado, check out the video. Good morning, I'm Carissa. Thank you for joining us today. If you could take a moment to fill out our Connect cards. The Connect card is your ticket to getting connected at Parkway. You can use it to find out more information about a particular ministry or to update your address or email or phone number if any of those things have changed. We would also be honored to pray for you. We do that every week in our staff meetings and you can use the connect card to submit any prayer requests that you may have. There's always something going on here at Parkway. We're gonna tell you about a few of those things here in just a minute, but know that you can always find out the latest on our website or you can connect with us on social media via Facebook and Instagram. Hey folks, it's Pastor St. John Aaron here, Church Administrator here at Parkway Christian Center. Hey, we just want to remind you to save the date. In February, we conduct two very important annual meetings, a pre-business meeting and a business meeting. 
These will take place on February 21st and 28th at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Now these are Sundays, so this, this will be in the Sunday evening time. So please be sure to mark your calendar and be a part of that where we go over the budget and take a look at some of our upcoming visions and a time of prayer. Hey church family, I'm here at Table Rock, a snow park here next to Hyatt Lake outside of Ashland. And we're just here checking out the snow park to make sure that it's good to go uh, for our event on the 30th, our snow day. So while it's super beautiful here, obviously, it's also freezing cold. So make sure you bring plenty of warm stuff and grab your sleds because that hill is way too awesome to miss out. Also, there'll be lunch at 12 o'clock, so show up for lunch, come to as little as much of the snow day as you want, but we want to see you here. So we will see you on the 30th. Uh, check this out. Hi, I'm Callie and I am here to talk to you about Junior Bible Quiz. And it is Spelling Bee meets Bible Facts. And we just had our first tournament on January 9th. We took two teams to the tournament, an A team and a C team. Both of our teams took first place overall. Our A team, Elias took second and Caleb took third. In our C team, Shiloh took second, Lily took third, and Hannah and Sawyer tied for fifth. Out of our quizzers, of the six quizzers, four got a quiz out. What is a quiz out? A quiz out is when a quizzer answers six questions in a round and then must come out of the, the round and let other kids have a chance to buzz in. We still have three more tournaments to go this year. And if you would like to help out with, there are some costs involved in this ministry. We've got hotel costs and awards and trophies for the kids and all those kinds of things. If you would like to help out, you can give a one-time donation, support a quizzer for the whole year, or give monthly donations. More information will be online or on pamphlets in the back of the sanctuary that you can grab on your way out. Thank you so much for your continued support of this ministry. I have one more thing that I wanna tell you about today. In December, we donated to Convoy of Hope's One Day to Feed the World campaign. Well, the numbers are in. Thank you so much to all of you who helped donate $15,667.57. To put it into perspective, it takes about $120 to feed one child for a year. So that's 130 children that we've been able to feed for an entire school year. And with the matching campaign that came in at the end of the year, that number is doubled. So thank you so much for your generosity and your prayers and your support for this campaign. Morning. All of you that were uh, brave enough to come out in the blizzard, uh, appreciate you making the effort. It, it's kind of, it, it, Grants Pass is kind of a weird town when it comes to snow, right? I mean, it, there's lots of people that are going, I, I don't care, you know? And then there's, then there's the people that, you know, spent $40,000 to get themselves a four-wheel drive SUV that are like, I can't take it out of the garage. It's snowing. And it's like, why did you buy that car <laughs> if you can't drive it on a wet road? You know, I, so uh, anyway, we got, we got all kinds of different, different uh, reactions. Hey, middle school, uh, you're headed out with, uh, with Kylie and, and Justin. Uh, 
You're not, are you using a sled today? No, <laughs> not till Saturday, right? <laughs> That's one nice thing. I think it's supposed to actually snow up in the mountains most of the week, so uh, should be should be pretty fun up there next uh, next Saturday. So, looking forward to that. That should be that should be a good time. Uh, I just wanted to uh, to put in a, a, a little blurb. Uh, St. John was on the video and was talking about our membership meetings and. Um, so let me just take a moment and kind of clarify something for you uh, in regards to membership. Uh, nonprofit corporations in the state of Oregon, so some of you are like, I'm already bored. <laughs> nonprofit corporations in the state of Oregon can either be member or non member organizations. A non member nonprofit organization uh, is simply run by its board. And there are no meetings, there are no public records, there's no accountability to anybody. The board just does whatever the board feels like it wants to do. Um, a membership nonprofit corporation in the state of Oregon has to have an annual meeting, and it's there that the members of that get to participate in that meeting. We've chosen to be a member nonprofit specifically for the issue of accountability. We want those of you who faithfully attend here to have the ability to come to a meeting to see what's going on, see the reports, have an opportunity to have input into the budgeting process that happens. We want you to be able to have that, that kind of uh, accountability and connectedness. But here's the thing. I can't just bequeath upon you membership, nor can you say, I think I've been here long enough. I am one. If, if, in fact, you're going to have a member organization, at some point you have to look us in the eye, sign something, and say, I want to be a member. There has to be some sort of process. It, it, it's not something you can just give away. Somebody has to say, I want to be a member. So that's why we're going to have a membership meeting next Sunday, immediately following this service over in the fellowship hall. For those of you that are online, uh, certainly you could come to that meeting if you feel comfortable with that. I know some of you are still kind of, you know, keeping the fences up with, uh, with some of the stuff that's happening in our community uh, physically, medically. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to say that Pastor Mike is going to be creative and find a way to do it online with you. Uh, so you're not excluded just because you can't be at that meeting. We, we want as many of you as possible to, to be able to participate. So the meetings are open. It's just that only members get to participate uh, in that process. So just, just a little bit of an update on that. One other thing I wanted to talk about, how many of you uh, took the commitment and said, I'm going to read my Bible this year, and you're, you're, you're faithfully at it? Uh, a couple of you, you're trying to get through the Bible. If you've been using the Bible Project video app and been reading the verses or the chapters as they're assigned to you, I think you're somewhere toward the end of Exodus right now, I think, is, uh, is about where you are, isn't that right? Middle of Exodus, somewhere in, in, that, in that place. Uh, hang in there. Leviticus is coming. Uh, it, you know, it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, so it, anyway, uh, it, it's, it's coming. I, I, I want to speak specifically to some of you who don't, who don't read much. Uh, maybe there's even reasons why reading doesn't work well for you. I, I have a form of dyslexia that is, is, is a little bit unusual in the sense that <clears throat> my, my, how it affects me is in my ability to get things out, not in my ability to take things in. So I can read something, uh, and it's it's you know, and I and I can comprehend and read well. My problem is I can't look away from what I've read and write down the words that I just saw. I can't I can't get them back. The letters scramble as I try to get them back on the page. Uh, for a lot of people who have dyslexia, for them it scrambles coming in. It's like somebody's actually moving the letters around, and, and they have trouble reading. 
So I want to talk to some of you who maybe are going, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, you keep saying we had to read our Bible. I can't read my Bible because of maybe some sort of issue like that. Or just reading's not the best way for you to get information. That doesn't work well for you. The cool thing about this Bible project is that online, and it's whether you're on your computer, whether you're on your phone, whether you're on a tablet or an iPad, they have a series of videos, and I stopped and figured it out. If you watch two videos a week, it will take you through the entire scripture plus all of the extra videos. And what those videos will do is they will introduce you to every book of the Bible, they will show you what the main themes are, what the main teachings are. They will show you how that book is constructed and laid out. Then they will relate what that book says in relationship to all of the other books of the Bible. Plus, they have additional videos that are not just based on, you know, this is what the book of Numbers is about and how it's put together. They have other videos that say, here's the theme of the Messiah through Scripture, or here's what the Torah is. And it, it will explain to you some of these biblical concepts and themes. I want you to hear that for 1,600 years, nobody had a Bible to read. Nobody had a Bible to read other than scholars or people in monasteries, and they had Bibles, but they were written in Greek, Hebrew, or Latin, and or Latin. So most of the people during that time could not read the language they spoke let alone read Latin or Greek or Hebrew. So if I can, I want to take away that stigma that says, well, I'm not a good reader. The Bible's a pretty big book. I kind of get lost. Hey, that's okay. Take advantage of these videos. Honestly, if you watch those videos, and maybe if some of them are a little confusing, if you watch them a couple of times, if you watch those videos, you will know more about the Bible than 90% of the people that go to church. Those videos are phenomenal in the material that they present. And so I want to encourage all of you. If you're, if you're a reader and reading works for you, God's given you a Bible. People died to translate it into your language so you can read it. Great. Please read that Bible. But for those of you that reading doesn't really work, it's not a good way for you to access information, watch these videos. It is amazing what you will learn and discover if you do that. So I want to encourage you to do that, all right? Yeah, please, please do that. So we have been in this series. That's part of why we're inverting the service and we're putting worship at the end is because we've been in this series talking about peace. And the, the Old Testament Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And as we told you before, shalom means more than the absence of conflict. It does mean the absence of conflict because if you have conflict, you do not have peace. But it's more than that. It's about wholeness. It's about integrity. It's about living a life that's not broken or fragmented or threatened. You feel safe. You feel solid. So it, it is a, it's a conceptual word, it's a pretty big word, and we've been talking about peace, and we've been talking about the things that can steal peace from us. I mean, some people, not you guys, because you guys are all tough, but you know, some people got up this morning, and they saw there was snow coming down, and that stole their peace. It's like, oh my good, what, what if this keeps up? I, 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 I don't know if I can get the driveway cleared off, and what if I get stuck, and I don't know if we have enough food. I mean, it's it's going to snow all week. And I mean, I mean, it, 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 for, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't take much, right? And there goes our peace, right out the window. And so we've been talking about this, this concept of peace. We've been talking about the things that rob our peace. One of the things we talked about is the fact that dysfunctional families have a tendency to rob our peace. And let's face it, 
Uh, we all came from a dysfunctional family, right? <laughs> you know, everybody recovers from what their parents did to them. I don't care how good your parents were. Everybody needs therapy. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, so we, we talked about how do you manage and navigate kind of these family relationships. We talked about finances. How many of you have known the joy of being in debt? I mean, I don't just mean a manageable house payment. I'm talking about, ugh, right? <laughs> That's a very peaceful place to live, isn't it? Right? You know, <laughs> every couple days you're out at the mailbox going, oh, yeah, this one's got red letters on it. You know, I mean, it's, it's another bill. It's another notice. It's another here we come to shut off your power thing. That's a horrible way to live. And it destroys your peace. It doesn't just rob your peace. It destroys your peace. And so we talked about how to have a faith relationship with God in regards to our finances. For some of you, you looked at that and said, okay, I need to have a faith relationship with God but I still got some problems to clear up. So there is a, a finance class that is going to start in February. One of our elders, Steve Elam, is going to be teaching that class. Finance is his background, and so it is his profession as well as part of his faith journey. And so he's going to have a class. And so I'm encouraging you. For some of you that said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm in the middle of that mess, uh, this is a class that will help you. So, so please uh, find a way to, to get, get signed up for that. Today we want to talk about how do we get free from those things that won't go away, right? Maybe it was an event. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a series of events that kind of added up to some things. I, 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 I have mentioned before, I think there was a, a guy that I knew. He was in his uh, mid-50s, and he, he, he just struggled in, in social situations. And one time I was just talking and saying, you know, why is this so hard? What? You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be this difficult. And he said, well, it, 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 you know, it's just, it's just obvious, you know, the, what, what people think of me. And I said, no, it's not obvious. What do people think of me? He said, well, it's my ears. And <laughs> I, I don't know what that was. But for him, somewhere along the line, and I can only imagine it was probably in middle school, right? Because there, there's nothing geekier than a 12-year-old boy. I mean... You just, there's just no way to be cool and be male and 12. It, it just, you can't put that package together. I don't care how hard you try. You know, so all I can think of was that, you know, this skinny 12-year-old kid that apparently like his ears stuck out or something, and he got made fun of. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, a singular event. It wasn't a singular person, but it was kind of a series of being teased over time that here is this guy, he's now in his 50s. And he still struggles socially because of something that happened to him when he was 12. For many of us, there are these things that just won't go away. The, the clinical term for it is, is that you, you ruminate. Uh, the easiest way I know, it's a little graphic, but the easiest way I know to, to help you understand what ruminating is, is that that's what cows do. Cows ruminate on their grass and their feed. They eat it once, and it comes back up. And they eat it again, and it goes back into another stomach. I, I, don't, I don't How many stomachs do cows have? They got four? They got four stomachs? Yeah. So in and out, and in and out, and in and out. And for some of you, there are events. There are conversations. There are relationships. There are those memories of being teased when you were 12. Whatever it is, there is this thing, and it's like every time you swallow it, it comes back. And you get to chew on it for a while more, and then it goes away again. That for those kinds of things, that can certainly disturb our peace, even if you think you're better, right? 
Because you'll have a couple of weeks, you don't think much about it, and then boom, something happens here, it comes back again, and you're working on that. How do we deal with these events that, that pop up? The, the general category of all of dealing with these kind of events is this issue of forgiveness versus unforgiveness. Um, so the, the, uh, the, the concept of, of unforgiveness and what it does to us was a, was a pretty popular event psychologically. So kind of, you know, at the Oprah level of psychology, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about unforgiveness and what it does to us psychologically. And, and out of that, they came up with these catchy little phrases. This was, one of them was that unforgiveness is like giving your enemy free rent in your head. Uh, which is, you know, just kind of a clever way of saying that, you know, this person who's not even thinking about you, you're thinking about all the time. And they're living in your head and they're not paying rent. So that was the idea. I, I think this one's a little better. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other guy dies. You know, so some of you've heard that one. That one uh, was pretty popular for a while. Uh, we're we're going to see kind of the reality of how that works. There are some very specific kinds of steps that you can take toward uh, the process of forgiveness, and we're not going to take time to to cover all of those today. Um, I would recommend to you Dr. Worthington's book, Forgiveness and Reconciliation. By the very title, it tells you a very important thing, and that is to know that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. So if someone harmed you in a very traumatic way and that person has died, you can still forgive them. But you can't reconcile with them. They're not present anymore. Forgiveness and reconciliation are very different. And sometimes we blend them all together and go, the only way I can say I forgave them is if I'm reconciled. That's not true. You can forgive someone and still say that person is dead or that person is dangerous. I need to keep my distance from that person. But I'm not ruminating over what they said or did. So Dr. Worthington talks about those steps. And I would recommend his book to you and would say that the, the very practical steps he gives you are significant um, in terms of just how do I walk it out. But today, today we want to talk a little more um, conceptually about what this process is of, of getting rid of these events that just kind of follow us around and chase us down. Uh, one of the great illustrations in Scripture of what happens to a person who can't forgive, what happens to a person who ruminates over bad events, what happens to a person who begins to be controlled in the present by things in the past, is the story of a man by the name of Absalom. So how many of you are familiar with the story of Absalom from Scripture? Some of you know that story? Okay. Um, some of you don't. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you that it starts in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, and it goes for quite a few chapters. Uh, there's a lot of detail wrapped around this story. We're not going to take time to do all of that, but I am going to summarize the story for you so that you can kind of keep up. So Absalom is the second son of King David. All right, so David has in, in their cultural environment, he has several wives and has multitudes of kids, but Absalom is the number two son in line. Uh, royal families are often kind of sorted and dysfunctional collections of people, at least if all the Netflix specials about the uh, royal family in England are true, uh, if you've seen any of those. Uh, you see these groups of people that are ruled by self-entitlement, by self-doubt, or the counterpart to that, just blind ambition, suffer a lot from self-pity. You know, hi, well, you're born into absolute 
privilege and have more money than anybody else on the planet and you're feeling sorry for yourself. You know, it's, it's hard to go there, but, you know, that's, Netflix has informed me of what the royal family in England's really like. Uh, there's just all kinds of craziness and dysfunction that happens around all of that. And, and so that's kind of where the story of, of Absalom uh, sits. It's this royal family that's got lots of problems, and this story is going to go from bad to worse, from crazy to crazier. Absalom is in his uh, early mid-20s, the older brother, the firstborn, uh, who is not more than a couple years older than him, develops this fascination with Absalom's sister. So it's Absalom's sister, it is his older brother Amnon's half-sister, because they have the same dad, different moms. Are you, are you keeping up? Some of you might want to get out a pen and paper so you can kind of scorecard this thing, so you can keep it all straight. But that, this is what's going to happen. So Amnon de- develops this fascination with this sister, stepsister, or half-sister to him who's a, a couple of years younger. So as I said, Amnon, he's the oldest. He develops this fascination with Tamar, the sister, and uh, he's, he's like sick with love. I mean, he's just crazy, and he's moping around and carrying on. And his cousin says, what is the matter with you? You're all messed up. And so he explains to his cousin. And so he and his cousin, they hatch up this weird plot to try to seduce Tamar. It it involves Amnon pretending that he's sick so that he can get her to come into the room and bring him some chicken noodle soup. In the end, Tamar is way smarter than these two idiots. She doesn't fall for it. But in the tragedy of the story, Amnon ends up grabbing his half-sister and rapes her. The next part of Scripture says, an interesting strong word says that he despised her after that. And it says that he threw her out of the room. She ends up living in disgrace in her older brother's home, in Absalom's home, after this event. Meanwhile, David and the rest of the family kind of just pretend it didn't happen. I mean, it's some weird sick form of codependency or something. I, they just, they just like act like it never took place. But Scripture notes for us that Absalom hated his brother Amnon, for what he had done. So we jump ahead now. It's two years later. Absalom devises this plan by which he can murder Amnon in retribution for the rape of his sister. So Absalom arranges this harvest feast, and he invites all of his brothers, his full brothers, his half-brothers, he invites all of the king's sons to come to this big harvest feast that they're going to have, which is really, again, just a cover for how they're going to kill Amnon because they're trying to get him out of the city, away from any protection that he might have so that Absalom and his buddies can jump him. So Amnon is murdered. Absalom flees, and he goes to the home where his mother is from in an adjoining kingdom to the kingdom of Israel, and he stays there for two years. So that's chapter 13. This is chapter 14. Joab, who is David's cousin and is the commander of the armies, realizes that David is grieving and he's frustrated with this whole situation. So he knows about the rape of his daughter, but he's not done anything about that. 
He knows now that it was Amnon, and he knows, obviously, that Absalom has killed Amnon, and he knows that Absalom has fled for his life. He's fleeing jurisdiction so that he can live in another country, and he's just grieving over this whole thing, and he's struggling with it. And so Joab realizes that David is struggling, that what needs to happen is that Absalom needs to come back, and there needs to be some resolution of this thing. So Absalom hatches a plan. His plan is to send some lady to David to tell this cockamamie story and to try to use that as a way to convince David that David should invite Absalom to come home. Well, David sees through it and says, lady, I don't know who you are, and I know that story's made up. And not only do I know it's made up, I know it was made up by Joab, and he's the one who sent you in here. And she goes, oh, yeah, right, well, you caught me, you know. And so then Joab comes in and says, well, we were well-intended. We just want Absalom to come home. And David says, okay, go get him. Let's have him come back. Well, it's at this point in the story that we learn that Absalom didn't just hate his brother, he also hates his father because his father never took action to settle the offense against his sister. And so there is this plot that is growing in Absalom not only to avenge himself against his brother Amnon that he's already murdered, but now to avenge himself against his father because he doesn't believe that his father has taken care of anything. So, we have this description of Absalom that he is both shrewd, he is, he is clever, he is a quick thinker, and that he's quite handsome. And that he has, first of all, been offended by David's lack of action against Amnon, now he is additionally offended in the fact that when David let him come back to Jerusalem, David refused to see him. Jerusalem's not a very big town. David refuses to see his son Absalom, even though he's brought him back, partly because I think he doesn't want to face it. I mean, it's part of this how can you let this rape happen in your own home and not deal with it? Now Absalom's back. He doesn't want to deal with that. David's just kind of trying to do the ostrich thing and hope it'll all go away if he doesn't look at it. And Absalom is now frustrated that he cannot get any sort of vindication from his father. And so here he is living in the same town, can't, can't work out any way to be able to see his own father. So Absalom comes up with a plan to make Joab set up a meeting. Well, Joab refuses to even acknowledge Absalom's communication, and so Joab just ghosts him. So Absalom goes out and burns down Joab's fields. So I don't know if it's wheat or corn or what it is, but Joab's, or I mean Absalom sets the field on fire, burns down Joab's field. Now Joab has to go talk to Absalom, and they finally agree that, okay, let's get together, and David actually meets with Absalom. Chapter 15. For the next four years... <laughs> it just gets, keeps getting better, doesn't it? For the next four years, Absalom sets up shop outside Jerusalem. So here's the way things would have worked in that time. If you had a grievance, the only kind of court system you had was either to go to a Levite or priest, or it was to actually, if it was a judicial system situation, was to go to the king, and you would appeal. That was the court system. And so these people would come to Jerusalem on their way to see King David to make their case to hopefully get a judgment from the king as to who's right and who's wrong. Absalom, for four years, sets up outside the city, and when people come, the first thing he tells them is, oh, your grievance is truly, truly great. Right? And what's the one thing you like to hear when you're mad and think somebody's 
harmed you, that somebody else agrees with you that that person is a putz. That's exactly what you're just like, yep. I'm, it's so good to know that you see clearly how much I've been hurt by this, right? And that's what Absalom is appealing to. And then he says, there's no sense in going into the city because David's not going to talk to you. He's lost touch with the common man. He's been king too long, sits there in his little palace. He doesn't care about you. <laughs> Sounds like a political campaign, doesn't it? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, vote for me, not my opponent. He's lost touch, you know. And he says, if only I were the king, I understand your grievance. I would listen to you. I would settle this case for you if only I were king. He does this for four years. At the end of four years, Absalom asks permission from the king to go to Hebron, which interestingly enough is where David was crowned king. He asks permission to go to Hebron, and he says, I'm going to have a religious feast. I'm going to do this big worship festival down in Hebron, and I want to go down there and take some of my friends. And King David says, you can go. In fact, what he is doing is that he is taking an army of malcontents that he has manipulated over these four years, and he has himself declared king in Hebron. And there is a whole set of confusing events that happen next, and some of the stuff that happens is crazy. I mean, it's crazy even by the standards of this story, crazy. But as we move ahead, Absalom is coming from Hebron. He has been declared king. He has an army with him, and he is headed toward Jerusalem to kill his father and take over the kingdom. Messages come to Jerusalem about what's really happened down in Hebron. And so David and the forces in the army that is loyal to David, they head out of Jerusalem, out into the forest area southeast of Jerusalem on the way over toward the Jordan Valley. And as I said, all kinds of crazy events happen in here, even some stuff that goes back to before David was king. I mean, it's just... Mm. But forgive me for the graphicness of this, but it is part of the story... One of the things that happens when Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, because there's no one to oppose him. David is left. David has taken all of his kind of key people with him. The army has vacated the city because David doesn't want Jerusalem to be destroyed in this process. And so David has evacuated the city. Absalom comes riding in. One of the things that he does is he goes up onto the roof, the flat roof of the palace, the, the palace kind of main center. And he puts up what's called a canopy. I mean, you think of it in our terms like a pop-up tent, right? He puts this thing up on this flat roof and so that he can publicly be seen raping one of David's wives to show that he, in fact, is the king and that he's the guy in charge, that he's now the man. I, I, I want you to see with me that Absalom's unforgiveness... And the self-justification that came from that, I have the right to kill my brother Amnon. I have the right to burn down Joab's field. I have the right to have myself declared king. That his unforgiveness and his self-justification has turned Absalom into the very thing that he hated. This whole sad story started with the rape of his sister. It's about to end... But at the end, Absalom is a rapist. He becomes the thing that he hated and that justified 
all of his bad behavior for all of this time. And I want you to see how easy it is for that to happen in our lives. That whatever someone has done to us eventually becomes the justification for us to do something very similar either back to them or toward other people. And we end up being the thing we didn't like in the first place. It's what happened to Absalom. So we get to the battle. Absalom's army rides out of Jerusalem. David's army is already in the wilderness, and the battle happens. And this leads us to probably the most famous part of what Absalom is actually known for. One of the things that he was known for was that he had this long hair. They even talked about he would cut it off and how much it weighed. That was back before you could donate your hair to, you know, cancer victims. But, I mean, that, you know, Absalom had just this bushy mane of hair. He's on a donkey. He's riding through the forest. There, The battle is happening all around them, and he's trying to get from one place to another so that he can continue the battle. He tries to swing underneath an oak tree, and while he's riding full speed on the back of this donkey, and as he kind of ducks his head to go under it, his hair gets caught in the branches of the oak tree. The donkey keeps going, and there's Absalom hanging there by his hair in, in this tree. Someone reports to Joab hey, we found Absalom, he's hanging in that tree over there. They didn't do anything about it because King David had specifically prohibited killing him. David wants to somehow keep his family intact. Joab, who's ticked about what Absalom did, who's ticked about the fact that he burnt down his field, it says he took three spears and a sword. He goes and he kills Absalom while he hangs from the tree in direct violation of the king's orders. But again, his own self-justification allowed him to do that. So I, I think the danger here is for us is to, is to read this story and go, you know what? On my worst day, I never acted like those people. They are absolutely crazy. I'm not sure why God put that story in there. They, if they made a movie of it, I couldn't go see it. It would be rated too badly. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, that's... Mm, 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 mm. But when we do that, we dismiss the story and we miss the meaning. We miss the point that unforgiveness, codependency, revenge, retribution, that these are incredibly unhealthy ways to live. And they cause crazy to become crazier. And they never lead to a resolution. The truth is, the unforgiving person all too often ends up being just another version of the person that they despise in their unforgiveness. As I said, this whole disturbing mess starts with the rape of his sister and ends with him raping someone else before he dies. You remember that phrase that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies? I, I hope you see the reality of why someone would say that. Because that's exactly what happened to Absalom. He drank the poison, and he kept thinking, well, it'll kill my brother. It'll manipulate Joab. It'll kill my father. It'll even make me king, and we'll make the world right. And it killed him. Absalom drank the poison. Well, we, we look at this story and we just go, like I said, these, these people are just bananas. I mean, they're just off the rails. You ever wonder what your story 
of unforgiveness and desires for retribution and revenge look like to everybody else? That maybe your story looks just as crazy to them as Absalom's story looks to us. And it all makes so much sense in your head, doesn't it? Because you're good people. You don't really want revenge. You just want what's right. You just want what's fair, right? right? We're good Christian people. We don't want what's fair. We don't want revenge. That'd be bad. We just want what's fair. In Absalom's mind, all he wanted was what was fair. He should be king, not his dysfunctional father. And his sister shouldn't have been treated this way. And so the guy that did that should die. In Absalom's mind, everything he wanted was fair. It's an incredible trap to get trapped into wanting what's fair. That's the stuff that haunts us. It wasn't fair. Just reminds you of the greatest movie ever made, Princess Bride. <laughs> when Wesley tells Princess Buttercup, Princess, life's not fair. And anyone who tells you different is just trying to sell you something pretty good line. Not as good as Scripture, though, so we're going to look at what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, there's some verses about how to get along. He says that we should bless those who persecute you, bless you, bless them, and do not curse. You know, I, I could read the Bible a whole long time and not have to read that verse. <laughs> have any of you ever been persecuted? Now, I, I, don't, I don't just mean that somebody treated you badly once and you had to get over it. I mean, it was strategic. It was long-term. They were out to cause you harm. Anybody? Did you bless them? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, the one time in my life when I really had a guy publicly try to go after me over a long period of time, I, 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 I did not bless him at first. <laughs> When I did bless him, I said, God, if there's a chance this man's going to go to heaven, could you bless him by taking him there today? That, that, was, that, that was where my blessing started. I was willing to bless him with a quick trip to heaven, you know. Um, was eventually able to get to a place where I could say some kind words to him and even offer some sympathy when his wife passed away. But I... I Oh, bless those who persecute you. I did not want to bless that person. I wanted what was fair. I wanted the stuff he was doing to stop. I wanted the lies that he was spreading to be corrected. I wanted what was fair. I was headed down Absalom's road. And I had to fight to get my way back. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We've said it before, I think it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. I, I have a 16-year-old car that I drive around. Nothing wrong with it until you see something newer. This last week, I saw a pickup truck that was only three years old. I found out the price of it. I could buy a mobile home and move into it for the price of this stupid pickup truck. 
Remember when pickups were like just rattly old things that you had at a farm? Now they're like a Rolls Royce with four-wheel drive, for crying out loud. This thing is hugely expensive. It's like, oh. Somebody in town's going to buy that truck. And my luck is they'll come and show me a picture of it. <laughs> Look at the new car I got. I got this truck. I got this screaming deal. I'm so glad I got this thing. And I'm going to have to rejoice with that guy who's rejoicing. And I'm not going to want to. <laughs> I just think it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice than it is to weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, which doesn't mean that you're all matchy-matchy and that you're all the same, but it does mean that you figure out how to get along. Harmony is not the same note. It is learning to have matching notes play at the same time. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. I love the fact that Scripture doesn't describe to you who the lowly people are. Because everybody in this room pegs yourself socially, economically, mentally, whatever. You kind of peg yourself at a place and there are people that you think are above you. That person, they, they have more prestige and influence than I have. They're more popular than I am. They have more money. They're smarter than I am. Whatever, however, whatever ruler you're using, you put yourself here and you say, well, there's these people that are above me. But that also, by definition, means that there's people that are below you. And they're not as good looking or they're not as smart or they don't have as much money or they're you know, whatever they are. Scripture simply tells you, whoever you've said is below the line, be nice to them. It's not a class of people, it's whoever in your mind. Now, for some of you, that's almost all of us. You have to be nice to almost all of us. For some of you, it's a short list, you know. You're kind of down at the bottom, you only got a few people below you. However you grade the world, Scripture says, whoever you grade as being below you, you should be nice to them. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never, not very many exceptions here, never be wise in your own sight. Oh, really? I've told you before, I have no wrong opinions. Not one. If I had a wrong opinion, I would change it, and then all of my opinions would be right again. And some of you look at me and you're like, oh, you are exactly the same. There is not a single person in this room who has ever come up with an opinion about any topic, any subject, including things you know nothing about, gone and looked in the mirror and said, that's the dumbest opinion that I've ever heard anybody say. That is absolutely stupid, but it's going to be my opinion. You have never, ever done that. Not one of you. Every one of you have looked in the mirror and went, that guy's right. That's what you think about every one of your opinions. Never, never be wise in your own sight. That, that might be one of the toughest things on this whole list, to be honest with you. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one evil for evil. There is a thing about violence and retribution. There is a thing about this idea of settling the score, somehow doing what is fair, that is self-ratcheting in its violence. So, so let, me, let me give you the description of it there. So my friend Jack back there, Jack, Jack he's pretty mean, hard to get along with, ornery old guy. <laughs> he's the opposite of all of that if you know Jack. 
But my, my buddy back, Jack back there, he, he says something about me or to me or he does something. And, and, and in his mind, it, it's not that big a deal. It was just some passing comment. It was some dumb thing that I did that he probably said, well, as a good friend, I should point that out. And so uh, on a scale of some sort of, you know, anger and emotion and passion, he's going, well, it was just a two. I, it was just a two. It was really minor. It was really small. But the issue is his level two response, I perceive as a level four offense. How could he do that? I thought we were friends. This is not fair. Well, my response to him has got to match the level of the offense. So I have to respond with a level four response. So I come back with my level four response, which feels to Jack like a level six. He's going, wait a minute. Weber's blowing this thing out of proportion. This is absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I was just trying to help him. I, I mean, what I, I was, why is he overreacting like this? So his response has got to match my over-response, which means he has to respond at a level six, which I perceive as a Eight. You see how this thing just keeps going up and up and up? Because in my self-justification, I'm simply responding in kind, but the other person feels as if I've overreacted. That's why clan wars never stop. That's why the Jews and the Palestinians can't figure out how to live next to each other. Because every reaction is perceived to be an overreaction to whatever happened the previous time. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with everyone. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay. What do we see? There are some people who will not live at peace. They do not want to be at peace. And you're going to have to choose to be a peaceable person and respond to their constant irritation in a way that is healthy because they do not want peace. They're still locked up in the self-justification. They're still locked up in the retribution and the revenge. They're still locked up in all of those feelings and emotions, and they are not going to be at peace. As far as it is possible with you, you be a person of peace even if they choose not to be. And leave all the issues of fair to God. That's what judgment is all about. When Jesus comes back, he's going to settle all the issues. And people are going to be rewarded for what they have done. Now, when you do bad things, the reward doesn't feel very positive. But it is a reward. You chose to do this. Here is your reward. Those who have done good things, they will receive a reward. Judgment is going to bring rewards for what we've chosen to do. You choose to do bad, the reward doesn't feel very good. You choose to do that which is good, the reward is positive. He says, leave it all to God. And it ends with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome 
with evil, but overcome evil with good. Certainly the story of Absalom is this gritty, nasty, horrible story about a young man who was overtaken by evil. And at every turn when he could have done that which was good, he perpetuated that which was wrong. And it destroyed him. So we're going to ask the worship team to come, and this is, again, part of the reason why we've inverted these services from what has been our traditional way of doing them, is to allow you to look at these issues and to sit with God and to settle some things before you leave. And what we want for you today is to be able to leave here in freedom. So I don't know what the event was. I don't know who the person was. I don't know what the series of events were. I I don't know what happened that causes you at times to ruminate. But I want you to stop and to think before we leave. And I want to challenge those of you that are online. Don't just click off. I want you to hang in there with us. Because I want you to decide before we wrap up this service today, who are you going to forgive? Really? What's their name? Who are you going to forgive? What event are you done thinking about? No more. I'm done thinking about this. I'm done worrying about this. I'm done fussing with this. Today, it's done. Now, I will guarantee you that the enemy will suggest to you that, well, that wasn't fair. You should, you know, I mean, he's going to suggest to you to get angry again. But I want you to make the decision, whether you're here in this service or whether you're watching online, I want you to make the decision to say, today is the last day I think about that the last day I talk about that, and if the the enemy comes and says, hey, you should think about it again, and you should be angry again, and you should be offended again, and you should be afraid again, I'm going to tell him, go away. I'm going to tell him, go away. I am not going to let the past continue to define my present. Not any longer. Today's your day to be free. Give up the right to compensation. Give up the compelling need to make it right. Forgive the way God forgave you and get free of this thing. Quit drinking poison and thinking the other guy's going to die. Fair enough? So work on that. We're going to sit here in God's presence or stand or whatever works best for you in terms of worship, but we're going to take some time and we're going to seal it with God. And if you need to do something that symbolizes God, it's done. I mean, if you need to describe the event, all of those kids who teased me in middle school, if you need to write it down, walk up here and set it on this communion table and say, there it is, God, boom, done, not going back. Whatever you need to do in these next few minutes, seal that thing with God, all right?
I hope you heard what you were singing to, today and that you were praying your songs and singing your prayers. He is my one defense. Not my cleverness, not my ability to convince everybody that I've been wronged and to somehow make it right. Jesus is my one defense and my righteousness. And then he is for me. Scripture asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? He is your one defense. And if God is for you, then nothing and no one can be against you. So when Satan comes to you, some of you before you even get home, and says, you should pick that offense back up. I mean, this wasn't right. Somebody needs to settle this. Would you please tell him to leave you alone? <laughs> tell him to leave you alone and enjoy the freedom and the peace that God has given you today. Amen? Father, I thank you that what we have just sung slash prayed is absolutely true. You are our one defense. We need no other defender. We don't need anybody else to make it right. You are our one defense, and you are our righteousness. You have taught us how to behave, and you are for us. And if you are for us, then nothing can be against us. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. <laughs> and you can do all things. And so we commit ourselves, our lives to you. We say thank you for peace, for shalom, for freedom, for wholeness. Satan, please leave us alone. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go be a light in a dark place. Enjoy the freedom that God has given you. And all the snow is melted away. You're free to go. <laughs>